everybody. Hello. I am Strati Papa Giorgio. I am Father Michael Tischel. And we are an imperfect podcast. podcast. Dan, dan, just kidding. <laughs> Cue music. Yes. So, Father, what are we, uh, how are you? How are you doing? You know, I, in general, I'm doing all right. At yeah. the moment, I'm in a little bit of back pain. Oh. So if I start squealing in agony <laughs> during the podcast, uh, don't, don't mind me. I'll just uh, be writhing on the floor here. <laughs> oh, God, I hope uh, not. No. We'll have to cancel the podcast. I know. That, that would um. not be good. All of our, all of our, anyway. So, yeah, but otherwise, you know. That's good. Hanging in there. Yeah. Hanging in. How about yourself? I'm doing all right, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. It's good um, to see you, man. Hey, you too. Yeah, it's good to like, see you guys too. You, yeah, yeah. We missed you. Yeah, it's been a did. little bit it since we've uh, made. We that first month we started, first two months we yeah. started doing this. We were just pumping yeah. them out. Then we had a little hiatus because I was of about to say vacation hiatus, and vacations, trips, travel. Yeah. I uh, I went to Europe. Yeah. And it's Cyprus. Pretty cool trip. Yeah. So, places that uh, now I can say I've seen them. Yeah. Really, that's the. That's why point. you go to them. Absolutely. Right? You go to see the Mona Lisa to say that you've seen it. Right. First hand. Yeah, you get to say that. That's pretty much the the, the uh, reward. It's your it's your <laughs> it's your culture street cred. <laughs> ah, there you go. It's your culture street cred. Yeah. Um, I'll go on a little just a little tangent. Yes. We might cut this out, but uh, Yeah. May uh, or may not. You may, may you may be yeah. privileged to hear this. You might be privileged. Listener. We'll see. Yeah. Dear listener. Yes. Or uh, we may just cut it out. We we'll might never know out. that You'll we never did. know this happened. That's right. No, but they, for the Mona Lisa, they have this entire room they used to have all this art in it along with her. Huh. They have taken all of the art out and only have the Mona Lisa. Wow. And she's behind bulletproof glass. Whoa. With guards. Whoa. And you can't really approach... They have like a one of those, one of those uh, opening and closing, right? Like you know, a we, swinging, yeah, door, gate. What do they call it? It's like when you when you go into those mazes, labyrinth. You, yeah, yeah, that's the. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Waiting for things. Like and you pull it. Oh, I know what you're. You know talking what you're saying? About. Like those, like those, plastic. The yeah, plastic they, they and kind they of spring back. And right. Like, yeah. So yeah, so they yeah. had like. I don't know. Anyway, they let you, they would open up so you'd go past it. Right. You weren't allowed to take pictures of it when you got, a, when you approached it. Wow. Even through the glass. So right behind the sort of, the the wiry gate thing that they would have there, mm-hmm. you were allowed to take pictures. Mm-hmm. Walk one step forward as they open it and you were not allowed to take pictures. So mm-hmm. I would hold up the camera on purpose to, to fake them out. Nice. You know, like, yeah. Oh! And I would look at them, and they were just like, ah, like, <laughs> like, you got us, like. And then my you father took a picture. Games, and he took, he took <laughs> and then he took a picture. That was hilarious. He was right behind me, and then he took a picture, and I was like, great, they're going to throw us out of the loop. <laughs> you were playing games. I was playing games of security. Mona Lisa. Jeez. You're lucky they didn't. Throw us out. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Yeah. Throw you in jail. <laughs> yeah. Try 
trying to capture the Mona Lisa. But right behind that, it was okay to take as many pictures as you wanted. Really? Step forward one inch, you're not allowed to take pictures. I couldn't understand it. Huh. It was weird. But um, Life is filled with arbitrary really, though. rules and regulations. But anyway, overall, I had a good, you know, summer's not over, but you know, I had a good trip. Good. You know? Glad to hear it. Yeah. Glad to hear I it. I posted some stuff on our Twitter and Instagram nice. from our... You know, trip to Cyprus. Yes. And, and the museums, all the archaeological, yeah, Byzantine. Uh, beautiful pictures. And Celtic, uh, Orthodox uh, yep. artifacts in those museums. Really neat to see firsthand. That is really neat. You know. That uh, is really neat. They didn't have the Book of Kells. They didn't? No. Where did at, the, at the British Museum. Uh, is it in Ireland, I think? Okay. Or, or is it, I don't remember where it is. Interesting. Uh, somebody could probably tell us. Yeah, tell us. comments. Can you speak through the microphone? <laughs> yell it. If you yell it loud enough, we may be able to hear it. I, I meant in the comments. <laughs> no, I meant, I meant that. Too. I know what you meant. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Wonderful. So, mm-hmm. Well, it's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be, thank you. to be back together again. The band's mm-hmm. back together again. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so today I was thinking we could talk about... Yeah. I think we lost... Father. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's exactly what we were going to talk about, though. What are we talking about? Taking a nap. Snoring. Snoring. Oh. Taking a nap. Okay. The spiritual significance of taking a nap. Now, I know what you're thinking. Right. I don't know. You're trying to justify laziness. Ah. And right. while they might that that might be true to a certain extent, right? You know, I struggle with. That. I think, yeah, it's not. There is something to this, this significance of the nap, mm-hmm. or its equivalent, whether yeah. it's drinking a, some tea or um, something like that. And to be completely transparent, I did not get this from my own brain. Right. Um, this this concept uh, originally came via the teachings of a contemporary uh, elder and uh, and theologian by the name of Father Raphael Noika, mm-hmm. who was a spiritual child of Elder Sophroni, and through the teachings of Elder Sophroni himself, who used the the practice, you could say, of drinking a cup of tea, right? Because he. He lived in England for a little bit, uh, or for a while, and uh, and he said, you know, when you reach the brink of despair, take one step back and drink a cup of tea. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's something very sort of humane about that, right? Something very uh, refreshing about that. Yeah, and I think you know, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about how perhaps this. Practice, though certainly orthodox in nature, might be something that all humans, you know, yeah. in different parts of the world or from different backgrounds, um, may you know have some sort of wisdom like that. Right. But I I do have to say that um, that this notion of um, this notion of taking a step back of knowing when to push and when not to push um, and of uh, not being sort of unrealistic um, that, that it definitely has 
um, its place, its very central place yeah. um, in, in our tradition based on, I think, our understanding of who God is. Hmm. In other words, to, to, mm-hmm. to give an example, there's a story of when uh, the contemporary Saint uh, Paisios of Mount Athos recently um, canonized in 2013 and died in the 90s. Um, when he was, I believe, a young monk in, in, in one of the communal monasteries, um, he had this experience where um, he wa- it was at nighttime and he was saying his, his rule of prayer or his, you know, his kind of prayer regimen. And uh, he was doing prostrations and he was praying and, and he heard this voice, you know, kind of in his head just telling him, you know, don't stop. Like, keep, keep making prostrations. Keep praying. There are more people suffering in this world. Mm. And then he kind of, he, he stopped. He finished his, his prayer rule and then he went, he went to his bed. And he was about to kind of lie down to go to sleep. And that voice in his head kept coming back and saying, no, get up. Keep praying. Keep, keep um you know, keep doing prostrations that, you know, there are more people in this world that are suffering. He kept doing it to the point where he had just totally worn himself out. And finally, he realized, even as a young monk, that this voice was not coming from God. You know, it's really interesting. I know, I'm, not, I know I'm cutting you off. Yeah, you are. very interesting. That, but, but, but I'm hoping that what you say is going to be really interesting. Well, this harkens back to Anthony the Great. He, I remember reading the life of Anthony the Great, and he said the exact same thing, that hmm. sometimes the evil one, the devil, yeah. will tell you to pray. Hmm. And you need to discern yeah. when that time is, and you know, which sure. is, is it from God. It's not always. Sure. So that, yeah, that is interesting. Very interesting. Discernment, that, right? So, so we're talking about a discernment, and that sometimes he'll even tempt you to, not tempt you, but he'll right. be like, Pray more. Should right. pray more. But in this very I think what unhealthy Saint, way. What Saint Paisius identified was it was a very unhealthy, very kind of compulsive and very um, sort of fastidious is the word that he used. Like this sense of kind of you know you have to do you have to do everything down to the very T and you can't you know miss anything and it had, everything has to be perfect and hmm, perfectionism right? right kind of getting down to that that notion. So so then you know finally realizing as he did that. God is not an oppressive tyrant, right? right? He doesn't he doesn't just kind of like you know beat us over the head with these rules and regulations, but rather he gives us oxygen. Mm-hmm. And being able to discern, right? When you know, I'll give you a story from my own life. I, I spent some time on the holy mountain on Mount Athos in Greece um, over the summertime when I was studying in Greece, and I spent a decent amount of time there. I think it was like a month. And um I was at a monastery um, in on the Holy Mountain, and it was a communal monastery. And I had brought all of my spiritual reading with me because I was a serious, the, you know, theology student, and I wanted to really dive in. And I was going to a monastery for of all things, so I really wanted to get, get you know, down and really pray and really, really read these books. And and there was a monk there. He's actually from England, from the UK. Uh, Cypriot, actually, um, oh, okay. from the UK, but yeah. uh, he he had been at that monastery for like over twenty years. Wow. Uh, an older, not you know too old, but an older monk. And um, at one point, he visited me um, in the little cell, the little room that I was staying in, and uh, he noticed that I had actually uh, Saint Siloan, the Athenite, the biography, on, sitting on my desk, and a couple other spiritual books. And he was like, he's like, you can't read those. This it's summertime. 
He's like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna bring you. I'm gonna bring you some good summer reading. And he brought me um, this collection of short stories by George MacDonald, who's like a. Yeah, he's a. He was actually the the author that kind of inspired C.S. Lewis in many of his writings. But he he wrote a lot of fiction. And uh, yeah, and so he brought me, and it was you know just these very kind of like whimsical like light kind of stories and uh, summertime. Yeah, it's summertime. You can't read that, you know, and uh, you know, and, and there's that yeah, there's that sense of like all right, like we gotta, you know, we got we, it's kind of like the sense of like don't take yourself too seriously, don't you know, and and having that wisdom and that discernment again to know what it means to push, what it means to to kind of take a step back. And I struggle with that to this day. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it, yeah. it's uh, you know, it's 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 tough, and, and you know, it's I think it's it's easy for me for us to sort of project our own sense of per- perfectionism, right, yeah. onto what we think God is asking of us. Yeah. And um, you know, oh, there's another little um, anecdote that comes to mind of an American who visited a monk on Mount Athos or an elder on Mount Athos. And, um, he asked him, you know, what elder, what, what piece of advice, what word of advice would you have for us um, in America? And, uh, the elder said, uh, something to the effect of, you know, he kind of sighed and I think like a tear fell from his face and he said something to the effect of God is not nearly as, strict as you think he is <laughs> you know right um and just this yeah the sense of kind of like relief of like man i'm not so you mean god isn't that oppressive tyrant in my head right. you know that's constantly telling me to do all these things i think and, that's a that's a huge thing that's such a such a big deal and uh yeah i think that uh a lot of us for one reason or another, maybe it's because it's a human way of human uh, tendency to, to assume that, you know, uh, in the West, especially because, uh, you know, especially our brothers and sisters are Protestant. Right. Um, you know, they, they, they read the Old Testament and hold it to a very high level. They read that version, not version of God, but sure that... Yeah, that sense of God being... Uh, yeah, yeah, God, God how, and how he is portrayed in the Old Testament. Sure. Um, and, and I think that there, there... Not I think, I, I know. That there is a huge sort of... A, we assume that God is a tyrant. But right. then, of course, now we have the movement of God is just... Whatever. Whatever. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> whatever, that's, whatever that's, you know. Yeah, just sort of... So we're jumping... Whatever, you know. Yeah, it lets you do whatever you want to do. and. Yeah, just... Uh, in quotes, love him. Right. In quotes, yeah. whatever that means, love him, praise yeah. him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But to go back to what you're saying, I mean, I have had the same sort of, even though I'm raised in an Orthodox house where sure. I'm sure, uh, you know, as a kid, I, I had those notions too. True. Even though my father would have known Dismissed better. Them. Yeah, yeah, of course, course he, would, he would have known better. Yep. Um,. I also think that you're right. You know, God asks for us to do what we can. Right. The best we can. Right. The situation that we're in. Right. Filotimo. Yeah. Well, sense of, a sense of... Uh, economia. 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 
that he oh from his perspective, from his perspective I was thinking God. from our perspective oh to he, have Philotimo to have Philotimo yeah. to have a sense of of course of honor and like which means that you do the best you can right 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 but right, you're right. also but it's also not a, an unrealistic yeah no, I I meant I meant from his perspective had, sure. he had to have economia on right. us yes. and our situations econom- right so economy yeah so economia means we'll go ahead and translate it no yeah it, it's it's that sense of um, kind of flexibility or you know, beneficence, d- divine right. kind of uh, uh, grace or mercy right, on, right, on right, people right, based right. on, you know, there's that there's the measure, there's the kind of right. strict, um, exact measure, exactly. precise measure. And then there's the way that it's applied based on individual circumstances. Exactly. And, and philotimo literally means love of honor, but it's a very difficult word to translate from the Greek, which is, has this sense of kind of, yeah, kind of, um, Knowing your measure, knowing your duty, knowing, yeah. you know, having a sense of gratitude towards God and neighbor. It also, it, it um, and I'm not a linguist, but philos right. means friend, but also is the word for love right. as well. The friend, exactly. friend love. Yep. And dimia, dimi yep. is honor. Exactly. So, um, exactly. So, yeah, to have philotimo, I think, is so. To be honorable. To, to be, be honorable. Yeah. To have, to, to yeah. Treat others, treat others with fr- friendship in a sense. Yeah, yeah and yourself. With love and yourself. You know, the, sometimes the honorable thing to do in a, in a situation where you're being lambasted by certain thoughts or things like that is to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I, know, I, 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 really, I, I truly believe that. I think I'm not saying sleep away the whole day. Right. You know, I'm not, I mean, you know, talk about people that, you know, the, the guy, the very guy who said this, Father Rafael Noika is a is a hermit who lives out in the mountains of Romania. Mm-hmm. He's not the one who's, who's he's not just like sitting there, you know, drinking <laughs> drinking coffee and smoking cigars. This, guy, this, <laughs> this guy is the real deal, you know. And yet, as the real deal, yeah, he's acutely aware of the our fallen human and condition our li- and our limits and our and our limits. Yeah. And so you know, no, we we don't we don't fall into this state of just you know. Complacency. complacency, indifference, this kind of you know laziness. We we're, we're called to be awake, to be alive, to be. But the, the the question is is at what point are we called to push, and at what point are we called to hang in there, and and part of hanging in there is taking a nap. Yeah. Right. So, the times when we push are the times when we feel that that sense of okay, I'm ready to go. Like I'm 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 my batteries are you know I've got something in my batteries right. But we often, in our kind of self-inflicted, uh, our own uh, idea of what we should be. Yeah, our what, we own think, I- what we think we should be. Exactly, yeah. our, our own idea of what we think we should be. We we sort of yeah we 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 think that even at those moments of intense intense crisis that we should be f- figuring it out or 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 you know working on ourselves or something like that, and that's. Those are the very moments to not do anything in a certain sense. I mean, it's not to say that you just kind of like lie there like a blob. But when I say don't do anything, I mean don't do anything spiritually or don't do anything sort of ascetically. You know, just keep living your life in a very simple way, in a very kind of like just move forward one step at a time. Make yourself a little meal, you know, take a shower. I think simplicity, you know, like, you know, the the old generation's... Um, especially from you know my the the Greek you know the, those generations were so simple you know right. they just 
They did their chores. They did their work. They went to bed. They woke up. They did their work. They did their chores. Mm-hmm. They sat, went to the Café Neon, mm-hmm. the coffee, you know, the cafe, yeah. whatever. Sure. They, their lives weren't full of bombard, being bombarded by media and right. commercials and, or, um, depends on what time period, but, uh, we're bombarded by uh, political uh, sure. propaganda or right. campaigns, uh, political campaigns or whatever. Right. You know, they were just they knew what the they knew the world they lived in. You know, and, and I mean they they went to church. They knew that on a simple level, but their simplicity was their wisdom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that their simplicity was actually wiser than some of the most educated people. Living today. Yeah. Because wisdom is all about how to live your life, not, not just about... And because of their simplicity as well, they were... You know, some of them, not everybody, I don't want to generalize. I mean, generalize. Like, you know, through their simplicity, they were able spiritually to tune in better. Right. Sure. That sort of take a nap. Yeah. That, that sort of... That kind of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a story that comes to mind where... Um, Granted, it's kind of the opposite of what we're, what we're saying in a sense, but it's still simple. So very sort of, uh, there's this bishop and, and his, when his mother, uh, she might be alive still, or regardless. Um, he, they were in church and she was standing. It was very old, very old. And he goes, Mom, it's okay, you can sit down. And then she goes to sit down. And then she stands back up and she goes, no. I don't want to lose the the, the grace or right. something. It's just a old Cypriot woman. We're sure. not talking about some elder living in the uh, you know sure. living on the mountains. Just a right. little grandmother, little yeah yeah as we say, great grandmother. So I don't want to lose the kingdom. Or, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was just like I need to stand. I mm-hmm. need to stand. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of taking a nap, but at the same time, there's simplicity in it. Right. In that she felt. I need to do this simple act of standing. Yeah, I I don't think it's the opposite of taking the nap a nap in the sense that it both of those those choices right to stand and to take a nap right are all bound up with the same motive. And right. actually, if if right. we're going to differentiate, there we go. if we're going di- to differentiate our taking a nap from any other religions taking a nap sure. or any other philosophies, Philosophy. I think it would come down to motive right. in, in the sense that for us. The entire motive for the motive for anything that we do in life, right? If we're if we're serious about this faith thing, right, <laughs> is is what Saint Silouan experienced, is what you know all the saints and fathers and mothers of the church have experienced, which is this taste of divine grace, yeah. right? So, in other words, they experienced. God's presence in a right. real and a tangible way, right. the sweetness of God's presence, right? Yeah. In that very initial stage, you could say of their, of their spiritual lives, sure. and then once God gave them this taste, then they also experienced the perceived loss of that taste, so that they would know that it was a gift and not yeah. something that they created of their own accord, mm-hmm. and they would know how to preserve it. And the way to preserve it is through humility. Yeah. And humility is not always what we think it is. Yeah. Humility is not always forcing myself, you know, beating myself up and telling myself that I'm a bad person or whatever. That's kind of like this superficial manifestation of humility. But 
humility is knowing our measure mm -hmm. and is knowing, knowing ourselves, yeah. both in our weaknesses, in our strengths, in our humanity, in our limitations, right? And great feats of asceticism could easily be a mask for pride, yeah. right? Absolutely. You know, I could say, well, I'm, I'm Superman. I could do anything, so I'm going to do a thousand prostrations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and conversely, right, great humility could be manifest in that sense of simplicity that you're talking right. about, where it's like, yeah, that Yaya didn't necessarily do all these great feats of asceticism. No. Probably. She, she probably, she compared didn't. to our, <laughs> compared to our, you know... She Definitely infirm was... kind of state of being. I'm sure she was a lot tougher in that sense. Right. But even just that desire to stand, right. yeah, yeah. not just for the sake of standing. No, no, not, not for just, the sake of standing. Not just for the sake of like kind of being kind of, um, you know, uh, um, masochistic. And, and dogmatic. Maybe. Or dogmatic, like moralistic. We, we have to stand. Right, we have church. to stand. No, no. no. She yeah. had a taste yeah. of the grace of God. Yeah. And she had learned... What, what activities, what actions in her life increased that taste and what brought that taste down? Yeah. For her personally. For her personally. Yeah. And for her, she knew that if she was just going to kind of lounge in that, in that chair in church, right, then that, that grace that she experienced was going to, was going to, was the, you know, her, her taste of that was going to, was going to grow. And so I think, you know, the whole thing with like taking a nap and, yeah. and, um, drinking a cup of tea and doing these things that are seemingly spiritually neutral mm. are all part of the, the um, art of arts, as the fathers call it. The, 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 um, the most sort of complex and kind of nuanced art there is that anybody can learn, and that is the art of being able to acquire and sustain the grace and the presence of God in our life. Mm -hmm. And there are so many different, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like flying a plane, as somebody has described it, where uh, the, apparently the Wright brothers who learned, who, who were the first to, to actually get a plane off the ground, right? Apparently, you know, at first when they, when they made their first plane, it was very kind of rudimentary and it was just like this kind of, you know, these big wings, right? Um, that just uh, didn't have very much nuance or kind of complexity to them and it just kind of like went up and then just crashed right but then they started observing birds and how when birds were in flight they all you know their wings consist of all of these intricate patterns of feathers and things like that and i don't know the you know the details we're as far as the science we're not ornithologists we're not ornithologists yeah. thank you i barely even know what that means but it's actually from the greek word right that's right ornithology means bird that's right and uh that's exactly right. And uh, ology. Yeah. So, so, um, so basically, um, you know, looking at the, the wings of birds and how, when they were making, when they were when they were navigating the skies, their wings would adjust in these little nuanced ways. So, like a little part of this feather would kind of make an adjustment, and then a little part of this feather. And it was never like one wing going up and the other wing going down. It was like just a little feather from this side from this side would go a little up and then a little feather from this side would go down. That's exactly what planes do. And that's what planes do. And they imitate <laughs> they modeled their their successful plane off of 
this this kind of delicate um, tact and this delicate art of of birds. And in the same way, you know, I think with when when we're talking about our spiritual life, it's never this kind of drastic movement of like I have to do this. I have to like wipe out this whole part of my life. I have to you know, drastically change this practice. I have to drastically, you know, start this practice. It's, it's the making these minor adjustments and kind of like, and and it's all focused around preserving our experience of the presence of God in our life. And, 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 and not just saying, well, you should do this and you shouldn't do that, but rather I, I feel the grace of God in my life and I, and I start to discern that when I when I eat too much food, right? When I get when I fill my belly, that grace diminishes. Versus when I when I you know am moderate and temperate, I still and 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 conversely this and it goes the other way too. If I starve myself, mm-hmm. you know, um, indiscriminately yeah. and it kind of in a, in a um, you know um, an what's it an unmeasured way. Right, intemperately, whatever the word is, um, if I starve myself to an extreme, right. the grace goes away. Yeah. So extreme asceticism or extreme hedonism, yeah. right? They both are equally as harmful to the yeah. preservation of the the grace within my heart and soul. Well, it reminds me of stories of the Desert Fathers, where um, so this unnamed, I don't remember the name. If he had, if they even gave him one, yeah, uh, he's walking through the desert, and uh, suddenly he sees a very attractive fruit mm. on the floor. It's not he, he ignores it. Mm-hmm. He says, "No, I'm an ascetic. I do not eat that." He kept walking. I don't remember if he saw another one. He said, "No, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to keep walking." An angel of the Lord comes down later and hands him the fruit. Says, "God wants you to eat this fruit." You've gone on long enough, you know. Or if you go to somebody's house and all they have is meat, right? You're an ascetic. Eat the meat. Sure. Hospitality. Not eat the meat. Right. Hospitality. Hospitality. Because because yeah, filotimo. The 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 act of refusing the simple you know love is, is going to is going to if you were by yourself, yeah, and you had a big steak in front of you and it was a Wednesday or Friday or something like that, right? And and not only did you eat the meat, but you ate the whole leg of lamb or whatever, you know. And, and you know, again, it's not about, it's not just about the fact that it's Wednesday or Friday. It's about have, being filled with the grace of God yeah. and knowing how to stay filled with the grace of God. Right. And, when, and, and I know that if I stuff my belly, I'm not going to be filled. Or if I receive, un, like... Uh, an inordinate amount of praise from, from my fellow humans, then the grace of God, the pr- the the glory of God inside of me, will diminish. Yeah. If I seek the glory of sure. humans, sure. right? So it's 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 very experiential. It's very practical in the sense yeah. of like, I've tasted, and I've seen, yeah. how good the Lord is, right? Mm-hmm. And I yearn for that, and I don't want to lose it. Right. And I do everything in my power to maintain it, and I and I avoid everything in my power that will yeah. make me diminish it. And so again, going back to our original theme, 
these seemingly neutral um, actions of drinking some tea, taking a walk, taking a shower, taking a nap, right? Doing what you need to do to recharge are actually tools in our spiritual tool belt that allow us to make minor adjustments. So it's not either I do this great ascetic feat or I don't, but it's maybe I do this great ascetic feat and I'm exhausted, right? And so now I need to rest a little bit, right? And then I wake up and I'm hungry. Now I need to eat a little bit. And I do all of these things moderately, right? Nice. I, I sprinkle them all throughout my, you know, and so that, so that I'm not... And, and by this, this kind of, these, this delicate sort of artistry, this delicate dance almost, mm-hmm. you know, I am, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning and I'm, I'm, I'm being educated and I'm being, I'm, I'm being um, given this guidance, this, this instruction, this divine instruction mm-hmm. as to how to maintain my connection yeah. with God. God. So it's not abstract, it's not ideological, no, no, it's not no. moralistic. No, it's very practical. It's very, very practical, uh, and it's very much focused on, you the know... The human condition. The human condition in relation to God, God. right. Yeah. Because the human condition, as we understand it, is there, there is no human without God. Right. In other words, a, 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 an independent human... A human disconnected to God is not a human. Right. A human is only a human insofar as he or she is has been filled with the grace of God. Right. And and we I think we all we all whether we know that or not whether we cognitively understand that or not right. deep down in our bones in our gut in our heart of hearts that's what we're yearning for right. is that communion with God. Yeah. And we have that to put it in that cliche, cheesy way, we have that God-shaped hole inside of us, yeah. right? That only God can fill. Yeah. And, um, and, and we need to, we also, I think we, we need to know that, that we may have been raised in the church mm. and we may have experienced little drops of grace here and there, perhaps, or maybe not. But we need to know that at a certain point, we can't just keep going on without having experienced the grace of God. Yeah. And I think this is somewhat counterintuitive because people are like, wait a second, I thought the grace actually experienced God's pre- experiencing God's presence and God's grace. That's for the saints, right? I mean, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy of God's grace, right? That's not the point. Right. The point isn't who is worthy and who's not worthy. Nobody, especially at the beginning, is worthy of God's grace. And yet, as St. Paul says, it was while we were still in sin that Jesus became that God became man for us right. like Jesus came into our our condition and so therefore it's not a matter of whether you're worthy or not it's a matter of God's free gift of grace that he gives us especially at the beginning of our journey so that we can know what it is what's at stake yeah. what is what the beauty of what we we can become and what we can have and the tragedy of what we can lose right and so I experience that grace of God, and then the rest of my life is a lesson in how to maintain it. And part of that one tool that we can put in our spiritual tool belt are those seemingly neutral activities that actually 
diffuse diffuse the the crisis the, the the crisis in my life like if i'm going through some sort of inner tension or or struggle or temptation or something like that a gentle way of diffusing that and really when it when we're talking about spiritual warfare a way of getting the devil off our back is pretending like nothing's wrong <laughs> And pretend and like this is very Saint Porfirian, right? <laughs> I've never heard that before, but yeah, yeah Saint Porfirios yeah, yeah. has has a lot of of examples, or, or one in particular that I can recall, of when the grace had kind of left him, or the the experience of God's grace had left him. Um, he he just went out and smelled the flowers, and you know did all these kind of very neutral things, seemingly neutral things, knowing that if if he had sort of agonized about it, then the devil would take, take advantage. Yeah, and, and be and, and kind of tune into that. Uh-huh. And that by saying, by kind of just pretending like nothing was wrong and doing these like neutral things, he actually allowed for, first of all, the devil to kind of go on his way. And secondly, for the grace of God to come back in a very natural and a very unexpected and kind of Sort of, yeah, you know. I assume in all of that he hadn't lost grace in all its sense. Uh, it, more like just the sensing it. Well, that's the thing. Is, I don't know. Is this this there's um because like Siloan lost it and wept. So, but did he lose grace? Right. And th- this Who? is Siloan. Yeah. According to what I remember hearing, he did. Right. Well. Well, did he lose it? In other words, what is grace? All right. Sure. God's presence. Okay. Okay. Yeah. God, it's grace is God's presence. Right. Okay. Did he lose God's presence? In no. other words, is God ever not present? He lost the sense of it. The Let's perception of it. Perception the, of it. And and I think um, this is a very significant, a very significant um, phenomenon in our spiritual lives. In our lives, is this is this sense of having lost God's grace, and we believe that even Jesus Himself who is God, had that sense on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have yeah. you forsaken me? Not because he, he sinned, but because he was human. Yeah. And, and it's, it's in our humanity to, and because I think he was showing us something yeah. about the depths to which he went and the depths to which we sometimes can go yeah. in our relationship with God. And, and I think... You know, the mission of Elder Sophroni was really to kind of articulate the creative potential in what he called the second stage of the spiritual life. So the first stage, um, according to Elder Sophroni, he kind of where he kind of like codified or like kind of organized Saint Silwan's teachings. He said the first stage of the spiritual life is when God gives us this unmerited free gift of grace the sense of of god's presence right Right. the second stage is when we lose that and oftentimes we lose it because again we start to develop these subtle thoughts that i that i have achieved achieved this that this this i achieved it right that this this is is my possession it's it's this grace that i feel is there because i have done something done something or something like that and so god removes (laughs) the perception of that Mm. and quote unquote abandons us right right because i say quote unquote because he's there he's always there yeah right he's always there but he removes that and why the question is why does he do that and what 
what is this phenomenon? And this is what Elder Sophroni says is so significant because if we don't understand that second stage properly and the creative potential that it has for our spiritual lives, we lose, we miss the whole point. And for him, he says, what God is trying to do is he's trying to, he's trying to teach us how to, how to, how to be stable, how to not, um, he's trying to teach us to be humble, mm-hmm. right? But he's trying to teach us to be stable bearers of the grace of God. Right. In other words, just like the Israelites, right? The Israelites and their covenant with, with God, where it was this constant back and forth, back and forth and messing it up and like fickleness. The if, whole thing's almost a metaphor for just it is. the human condition. It really is. There. It's like, yeah, we've been given this free gift, this gift, this covenant. Manna. Right, all this stuff, and God's taking care of us, and then we, we go and we create idols, and we go and we complain against God, and yeah. complain against Moses for taking us out into the wilderness, and makes murmur. You, and makes you wonder how allegorical. I mean, I'm sure that well, something yeah. happened, I mean, but they... There's a lot of wisdom oh gosh. behind of the, the story, you know. So much wisdom. Let's not get bogged. I guess I'm leaving kind of like not being. A lot of those stories, sure, the Israelites might have had a, a you know an exodus from Egypt. Right. But when, the, they, when they wrote them or when they started telling them, they created wise details to those stories to give an allegory to the human condition, which are profoundly deep, mind you. Yeah. Profoundly deep on a just day-to-day level where we, I make idols. Right. I go to church, but then I make an idol. Yep. Out of my couch or out of my show that I like to watch. Because I think that's going to fulfill me. Yeah. I think that is going to fill the God More than the other thing that I did. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And, And I mean, the other way of looking at it is that God himself in his wisdom and in his mercy sort of allowed for these things to happen in his divine plan for our salvation. Right. Like the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, like, right. like you know, these um, examples of like the, some of the Old Testament figures, yeah. you know, being beyond the age of childbearing, right? Yeah. And then, and then... Elizabeth. Yeah, Joachim and, and, and Anna, uh, Anna, Anna and... Zacharias and Elizabeth, right. right, both despairing of their of their ability to bear any children in a time when, especially bearing a son who could potentially be the Messiah, was like a very um, significant thing for the Jews. Of it that way. Yeah, and and so in their despair, right, they they had sort of given up on all human hope, right. and it was at that point that God intervenes, right, yeah. and Saint John Chrysostom says that. That sense of despair that they had was a type, a sort of a foreshadowing of Jesus coming at the time when the people of Israel had despaired over achieving salvation through works of the law. Mm-hmm. That the law had become barren, mm. like, like these women had become mm. barren. The law had become oh, wow. barren, That's... and people had given up hope that the law could bear any fruit. Yeah. And so Jesus comes, God comes, right? And uh, and through God's son, right? We we and through the miraculous conception right. from a virgin, right. right? So these old people you know give birth, right? And then this right. this person who never knew a man gives birth and there's this in, divine intervention right. into 
this seemingly hopeless situation. This is this is a great example of keep your mind in hell and despair not, right? It's like it's like hope against all hope. Like you've come as a human, you've come to the end of your your rope, your rope. as far as like what you could possibly conceive of right. as being any sort of hope. Mm-hmm. And and then one click beyond that, one one step beyond your, the end of your hope, right, is where God can well, work unexpectedly and will intervene. And, um, and sometimes, you know, we just got to take a nap. And it's then when we wake up that, like, you know, it's like we have a new sense of things. And, yeah. um, you know, because God works in those kinds of ways that are beyond our expectations, beyond our wildest hopes. And also, and, and specifically giving us that sense that it's not us that's creating all of this, but that he's giving us this, this gift, this gift that it's all a gift. Mm-hmm. And so when we, we feel it removed from us, God takes away the gift without taking it away. Mm-hmm. He's not taking it away because he's cruel or because he wants to take it away. The gift is still there, but he hides it from us. Mm-hmm. He hides it from us so that we can see who we are without the gift. That's fascinating. Yeah. And so then we, we sort of humble ourselves, right? And Because the gift can only be held in the hands of somebody who's humble, yeah. right? The moment we exalt ourselves like a hot potato, we lose the, yeah. we lose the gift. And, um, and to the point where we, we go back and forth, you know, we, we exalt ourselves, we lose the gift, we humble ourselves, we get, and we're instructed in this way of humility to the point where finally... At a certain point, we can maintain that humility, which is to maintain the stature of God, who's not fickle and who's not prideful, but who's humble. And so we look at God face to face, having having become like God in in his humility. Yeah. And um, that's why we should take a nap. Very well said. <laughs> you brought it all the way around. <laughs> very good, very good. I think that about wraps it up. Do you think? Yeah. You got anything else? I, I got nothing else. I, I, yeah. I got nothing I'm else. exhausted. I'm gonna A lot take... of jibber-jabber. No. It's good stuff. No, it really is, though. It really is. I mean, these uh, podcasts, I mean, I don't know about the people listening, but I know they, even if they weren't listening, this conversation is uh, good for me. Me too. Yeah. yeah me too. Um, these are, these are, Good things to remind ourselves of, yeah, you know, to kind exactly. of enter into these truths in, you know, in different ways. And so I'm going to just, you know, let everybody know that uh, we, um, just to follow us on, you know, so all, all our social media platforms, you know, we're everywhere. Well, I don't know. We're almost everywhere. <laughs> we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All Trisagion Films. Um, and we're also on YouTube, which is where we upload our videos. So our main, as a, you know, company or as a nonprofit that we are, we are a video, uh, a film producing or film production company, nonprofit. So having said that, uh, I hope you have all have a wonderful day or night or whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to it from. Um, and, uh... May God bless us all. Amen.